Hello, and welcome to this spooktacular episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. I am so absolutely delighted to be joined by Mike Thorne. I just like, it kind of reminds me in Greek mythology when the gods would descend, you know, and like the mere humans would get to like look up and be like, you're real. Um, Hopefully with a little less smiting, but you know, it's just so neat to get to talk to someone that I like am reading their book um, and, and being delighted by, by their horror and traumatized. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us today or us, me joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So unfortunately, listeners, um, Anthony Tresca could not join us today, uh, which is sad, but true. Um, and so it's going to be me, which is even more exciting because now I get to have Mike also myself. Uh, Mike has been kind enough to provide a bio, so I'm just going to read that, which is why if you're watching this video as opposed to listening to it, you'll notice I'm not looking at the screen at all. So Mike Thorne is the author of the novel Shelter for the Damned and the short story collection Darkest Hours. His second short story collection, Peel Back and See, is coming from Journal Stone this October. His fiction has appeared in numerous magazines, anthologies, and podcasts, including Vastarian, Dark Moon Digest, The No Sleep Podcast, and Tales to Terrify. His film criticism has been published in Movie Notebook, The Film Stage, Seventh Row, and In Review Online. And he completed his master's with a major in English literature at the University of Calgary. And you are soon to start a PhD program at the University of New Brunswick. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes that's right. Excellent. Yeah. And you were saying that's a full cross-country move for those of you Americans that are listening and don't know your Canadian geography, which is fair because no one should have to know their geography period. <laughs> um, I it is, don't. Yeah, I, I, I learned the shape of Kentucky only after I moved there. Um, <laughs> so we thought we would start, uh, Anthony and I came up with these questions ahead of time, and we always like to start with a sort of like icebreakery type question. Um, and so the first question is just, what is one horror world, and it could be on uh, fiction or film, that you honestly think you could survive? I was thinking long and hard about this question, and I was like, I was like trying to picture myself in, uh, I don't know, a Friday the 13th movie. And I was like, I would definitely not survive Jason Voorhees. I would not survive the George A. Romero zombie movie. No. Um, actually, it just came to me. I had like a glib answer to the question, but you just made it impossible because you said fiction or film. And I was going to be like, well, I'm living in a horror movie, <laughs> the real world. Well, there is but... that. <laughs> and you're surviving it. So, you know, kudos. Nominally, I think that counts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sort of surviving. So, okay, maybe I will just stick with my glib answer. But I also just thought I feel like I could probably survive um, the movie Jaws because I would mm. just stay out of the water. I yeah. And honestly, like when I've thought about this question, it's been it's had to be with the caveat of like, because I wouldn't be in that location to begin with. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would be okay in Friday the 13th because I wouldn't have gone camping. Um but that's not that's not good enough, right? So I think I think Jaws is a, a good answer. Uh, I've been reading a lot of um, a lot of like aquatic horror lately, and I'm just reminded that we should not be going in the water as humans. It's just not a good idea. <laughs> so uh, that actually fits nicely with the next question because I think 
you know, in reading your stories, uh, you cover so many different sort of sources of horror. But I, I would like to know, and I always I'm afraid asking this question that you're going to think like I'm going to hunt you down and like inflict this upon you misery style. But just <laughs> what scares you in real life? And and how do those fears play directly into the, the things that you end up writing about? Um, I, I'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm a pretty anxious person. And I think that's a big part of the reason I write horror because I need to, um, exercise all of that, um, energy in some way. So I think that's, that's a big part of the reason why I write horror because I, I live with a kind of, um, undercurrent of anxiety generally, but <clears throat> the things that make me anxious, I mean, uh, the state of ecological catastrophe we're living through, the climate emergency, um, the the state of wealth disparity, um, systemic inequality and prejudice, you know, all of the all of the things that are really, really scary in the real world. Yeah. Um, so to me, there's actually maybe something comforting about horror, although I try to find um, ways of of uh, still using the genre to be disruptive and, and disturbing in a real way, because I think horror has a unique capacity in that sense. Um, yeah, so those are the things that scare me, the, all the Just shit the, that's the little things, you know, like systemic <laughs> inequality. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, what I like about um, your stories, and, and I haven't read your, your novel, I've only read the short stories, um, is that I think you can feel that anxiety, right? Even even underneath the admittedly disturbing and profoundly traumatizing things you're writing about, just underneath that one level, I think the anxiety even impacts, I would say, uh, your sentence structure, right? And, and sort of the pacing of things. Um, and as someone who is also very anxious um, and full of anxiety to the point that someone was like, have you ever heard of cognitive behavioral therapy? Because I think you need it. <laughs> um, I could feel that and it, it made it very disquieting. Uh, so that's really terrific. Oh, one thank of you. Absolutely. I mean, thank you. One of the things that I really liked about your short story collection, actually just about you as an author, um, is that you are really intellectual and thoughtful about it. And, and, and I think that, you know, you know, because you, you teach as well, that like in, in academia, we often say there's the creative and the critical, and we act as though they're like on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? When I think really reading your fiction and your essays, you can see that they inform one another. Um, you talked about like Dylan Trigg um, and how, and I didn't have that book, so I had to rush out and get it. I have his one on um, the uncanniness of the home. Um, but, you know, you, you talked about how like that informed your reading. Um, and again, your essays are talking about little things like cosmic horror. And, you know, so I'm curious to know, you, you chose an uncommon form and kind of took a risk in having a book that was going to have, you know, your fiction writing alongside your essays. So what what motivated that decision? Yeah, it's um it's interesting because originally the book was just published as a collection of short stories um with the original publisher, but when that contract ran up and I um started having conversations with Journalstone about doing an expanded edition, it seems to me intuitive to include the film criticism because the 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 book Darkest Hours I think is very entrenched in my lifelong obsession with cinema. Um, and I was also around the time I started submitting fiction for publication. That was also around the time I started submitting uh, film criticism for publication. So I think my development as a writer at that time was, um, I guess, making itself 
appear in both forms. Um, so, and I do think that the way I was thinking about film through the theory I was reading and the fiction I was writing, it was all related in some sense. Um, and, and certainly the stories are, are openly influenced by cinema in a major way. So I thought to me, um, it works as like a nice kind of supplementary section. And uh, it's interesting, there have been some reviewers who said like, I didn't read the film criticism because I don't care about that. And that's fine too, you know, right. but it's there if you are interested. So um, yeah, that, that was sort of the thinking be behind that decision was um, all of those factors, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I, I think of your story, The Auteur, right, which has this very meta feel to it, um, that mm -hmm. you can read it. I, I imagine one could read it and not really be familiar with horror cinema. I, but I'm, I'm not sure one could understand it, right? And and not be familiar with what you're talking about because you're not just talking about, you know, your glib references uh, at the beginning uh, when Katie is like, you know, oh, I hate Bride of Chucky. And I was like, oh, right? Um, but, <laughs> but also just the, like, what we subject ourselves to. I, I thought that was really interesting. How did you, so so I have a couple follow-up questions with that. One of them I didn't prepare you for, sorry. Uh, but I'm curious, what made you decide, you know, that you wanted to take time to write both fiction and nonfiction? Because, you know, time is a limited resource and, and you don't have all the time in the world, but you made that effort and made that decision. What, what made you feel like that's what you needed to do as the writer you are? Um, to be honest, it's always all been there. Like I, <clears throat> I, I mean, I've been writing fiction for as long as I can remember. Um, but I also, in my early teens and onward became very, very obsessed with film. And I think that seed was planted quite early too. Um, like many kids from my generation, I was, um, really inspired by, you know, like Spielberg and Lucas as a young kid, and then, you know, branched out more and more over time. Um, worked at a video store in my teens for a while, and we got 10 free rentals a week. So I would wow. just, yeah, I would just devour movies. And that was like what I, you know, spent my time on. So the, those are just both so intrinsic to who I am as a person. And I, I also went through periods where um, I was convinced I was going to go into film acting for a career. Oh. I was dead set on that. And then I went through a period where I thought, I want to go into becoming a professional film critic. And then I realized that's not really a job that <laughs> no, can it's have not. anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, not for the money, at least. <laughs> not for the money. I'm not in any of this for the money. But, but uh, you do have to have the food and the shelter. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Shelter for the damned. We've all got to have that. We do. Um, yeah. Were there any... So I know that, you know, the, the stuff that's in Darkest Hours is... Um, it's stuff that had been published in previous places, but did you, as you were thinking of it as a cohesive collection, did you face any challenges in sort of as, as either as an author or as someone just thinking about the collection by putting the fiction and nonfiction together? Yeah, definitely. I wanted it to feel um, like a cohesive unit for sure. And when I was originally assembling the stories, a big thing you think about is what order should these stories go in? Mm -hmm. um, both tonally and thematically, is it is it working in terms of a reading rhythm? So it's hard to do that as a as a writer, but that's something you can work out with an editor too. Mm -hmm. um, when I originally submitted the collection, actually there were two stories that didn't end up in the final oh. uh, published version, which I'm actually very 
glad about. Uh, my editor said, you know, I'd like to publish this book, but not these specific stories. Um, that was, yeah, the original publisher. But yeah, and then the, the film criticism, I, I went through all my criticism and I was trying to think which pieces would work in conversation with Darkest Hours. And I ended up just going with um, specifically pieces I've written on the horror genre, kind of broadly. I mean, there's a piece on a James Benning film called Stemple Pass in there, but I'm thinking of it within the context of genre. Right. So, yeah. Was it hard to to think of your short stories as a collection, like to, to think of them as building their own narrative? Was that something that was challenging at first? It might have been in some sense, although it's interesting with both Darkest Hours and Peel Back and See, my collection coming out in the fall, they they both represent a, a moment in my life. Um, Darkest Hours was written, all the fiction was written between the years of 2015 and 2017, which is the period of time it took me to complete my master's degree. Mm-hmm. So they're very entrenched in exactly what I was going through during that period, the specific anxieties I was dealing with, the texts I was reading. So I think there's a kind of organic um, conversation going on between the stories, even if it's an unconscious one. Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, Peel Back and See is almost entirely written in the years following my master's degree. So, uh, yeah, that you it just kind of shows up in the stories, um, even though none of the stories reflect my life in a literal sense. They're all metaphorically related in in that in a in a, in a way, and they're all personal. Yeah, I think that's so neat that you know in like. I don't know, 20 years, we're going to get to see, like, Mike Thorne through the years, right? Because you'll continue publishing, I hope, these short story collections, and we'll be able to see, you know, like like you said, your anxieties about a specific time and place and, and who you were, and seeing how you grow and, and change, um, probably not ceasing to become anxious, but maybe anxious about, you know, new and bigger things as the world continues <laughs> to become more and more awful. Something to look forward to. Yeah, pretty much. And I personally look forward to the trauma um, that will be embedded in your short story collection about your PhD years. Like, I'm just, I'm already <laughs> needing you to write that book on my behalf. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could collaborate with anyone in the horror industry, and we'll go living or dead, because unfortunately, you know, some of the, the greats are gone. Um, who would you want it to be and why? Honestly, I'm going to go with my dear friend, Jamie Blanks, who directed the films Urban Legend and Valentine, um, because he and I are trying to get something off the ground right now. And uh, more than anything, I want that to happen. Yeah, so we've, I wrote a treatment of Shelter for the Damned and I was in close conversation with Jamie throughout that. And I think we've come up with a really special and exciting version of that novel that could be translated to screen. That's what I want more than anything is to to get something off the ground with Jamie. We just have like this intense um, collaborative energy and we just connected immediately. And um, yeah, he's he's also like the nicest guy in the world. And oh, that's I, so neat. Yeah. So Jamie Blanks. I'm going to go with Jamie Blanks. Excellent. And we're talking Urban Legend is in the, the film with Joshua Jackson and all the others. Oh, Excellent. I was hoping, but I was awesome. like, maybe there's another one that I don't know about. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that would be that would be delightful because um, he's got a real gift for for rhythm and for pacing and for knowing when to put in the humor and, and when to like get real dark. And I think the two of you 
would oh that would be such a um, wonderful collaboration i need it to happen so if i had money i would give it to you um because that is so neat um as long as you don't I don't know if I could watch a filmed version of Hair, though. I just, <laughs> you know, and and um, I know that this isn't her real name, but but Mother Horror, right? The Sadie, um, what is her last name? I'm so Hartman. Hartman. Yeah. Um, you know, she she talks about like how how you started this collection with a bang, and I you really did like it. Just was so disgusting um, in all the right ways. And then afterwards, like I saw a hair on my hand and I was like, oh, I don't think I can function. <laughs> um, so as long as you don't adapt that, um, I will watch anything else that you create. I just don't know. Ooh, that one just got me in all the right places. Um, which actually I think fits with this next question because now, now all I can think about is this beautiful collaboration that you'll have. Um, and, and there is, you know, Urban Legend, I think, at, at the end of the day, it's 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 not one of those films that, it, for me at least, left me disturbed, sort of fundamentally, right? Um, it's a really good film, but I didn't walk away disgusted by humanity. There were, and I mean this in the, the best way possible, a couple of your stories, though, where I was like, ugh, we're so disgusting. Like, our meat forms are disgusting. Um, like, our minds are disgusting. All of it's so gross. Um, and so one of the things we often talk about in this podcast is we use this critical framework and it came from Linda Holland Toll uh, of affirmative versus disaffirmative. And I really like this framework um, because when I read it, it kind of put into place for me why, even though I will always enjoy reading Stephen King, I don't always think that he's as horror-y as, as some people. And, and it's because affirmative horror portrays this source of horror as something that's threatening our social world, right? Um, it's threatening our value systems, but at the end of the day, we can destroy it, right? And so at the end of the day, it sort of affirms that we're not that bad, our society is not that bad. Um, whereas disaffirmative horror is like, oh no, you lift up that curtain and you are the monster, right? We are the source of horror. So where would you place uh, your horror in this framework and, and how does what you think horror should do, um, which you mentioned in some of your author footnotes, um, how does that inform the things you write? Yeah, I love that framework too. It's really interesting. Um, and I'm, it, yeah, I, I also love that you brought up um, King as a kind of affirmational, maybe even an aspirational horror writer. I think mm -hmm. it's true. I also admire King, but I think philosophically, I don't entirely align mm -hmm. with King. I, I think some of his work maybe flies in the face of that ethos, like Pet Cemetery and Revival right. and a few others. But um, yeah, I'm definitely a disaffirmative horror writer. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think in my my intro essay, I, I argue that horror should fuck shit up, and I I'm firmly um, I, I I hold firm to that belief. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Yeah, for me, horror is a project of um, disrupting, of kind of uh, broaching the veneer of propriety, especially um, of especially that there are different forms of performative propriety, performative um, correctness, I suppose, that you see in all different environments. And, and academia is ripe with this, especially mm -hmm. when you have this this tension between nominally progressive politics and like a liberal arts department versus the capitalist mandates of the academy within the social context we live in. Mm -hmm. So I like to I like to 
pull out the most uncomfortable contradictions, the things people don't want to talk about. And I'm always seeking those things out. So if, if it's a kind of obvious or readily apparent evil, it's not necessarily as interesting to me as um, trying to find the things that, that are deeply subterranean. Um, I guess that's a kind of a redundant statement, deeply and subterranean. No, no I, I think it's beautiful. Um, um, yeah, so the, the, the most subterranean, I guess. So, and, and again, it's so funny because the things you say to a horror author to anyone else would sound like the opposite of a compliment. But uh, your characters are not always likable, right? Uh, in the best way possible. I, I'm curious to know, you know, that I think that works perfectly in a in short stories because by the time you're you're sort of fed up with that character they're done right um sometimes literally but but at least figuratively how did how did you balance that more disaffirmative slant with with your longer project with shelter for the damned because i think you know stephen king's books are long so we have to like the characters right you can't read it at 1100 pages and not at least root for someone um i'm not sure that I would root for any of the characters in Darkest Hours. So so how did you balance that for going for a, a longer form writing? Um I guess in Shelter for the Damned, uh I would I would I would argue yeah my mandate is pretty much the same there. My my philosophical approach is pretty much the same. I looked closely at the way um Hubert Selby Jr. approaches his long his no I mean he was mostly a novelist who wrote one collection of short stories. Um, but the way he aligns his narrative voice with um, protagonists who are damned in some sense, who are inevitably going to be subsumed by their demons, I guess his narrative approach is maybe most famously visualized in the film Requiem for a Dream. Mm -hmm. But I think part of what makes that film special, I mean, it's a, I feel like it's a divisive film. I, I still love it. Is that I think there is a, a a real empathy and pain there uh, felt for the characters, and that was how I approached Shelter for the Damned too. I I I know who this kid is. I know I know his pain, and I know he doesn't want to be the way he is. But it's something deeply seated within him, whether it's um, something endemic to who he is as a human being, or if it's socially conditioned, the book kind of grapples with those questions. Um, but that that's basically all I do is I try to be true to my characters. I try to be as real as I can. And then I just don't really worry about readers. I don't think will a reader find this <laughs> pleasurable? Will a reader um, be appalled? Because if I start thinking about that, I just won't write, you know, it's just if, if I if I were to ever go into a project thinking will this um, will this chapter strike people the wrong way or whatever I just I would freeze mm -hmm. so I think I just have to be real be authentic not get in the way of the characters and then hope for the best and I think some critics have taken issue with um, the fact that Mark is not a particularly likable protagonist there have been mm -hmm. debates about whether or not he's a sociopath so, you know what? I feel like I've done my job. I'm there to fuck shit up. So yeah, and and I think there was a line in Auteur, in the story of the auteur that um where he he realizes um that you can never look at your eyes except for in reflection, right? And and it just you know he he and I'm sorry I can't remember his name. I only remember the person who had the same name as me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, what is the character's name? Do you remember? I'm actually blanking too. It's Kate and. Um... 
I always think about Kate because she's my favorite character that I've written. So yeah, I'm blanking on the, the protagonist. Okay. Well, too, I so. feel so much better then. Um, what he, yeah. you know, there he wasn't. He was one of those characters that as he's doing it, you're like, could you not? You you know better. Like, don't do it. Don't. And, but and so, you know, we're not feeling a lot of empathy for him up until that very end. But there was something in that where, you know, it felt it felt very real. Right. Like, because all of us have that that epiphany that, that we're sort of damned. Right. Um, and that, you know, the world that we live in has made it so that we are for sure damned. Um, and so I I'm very excited uh, to read Shelter for the Damned. I've said damned a lot now. <laughs> I'm very excited <laughs> to read that book, though, because if you can and it sounds like you did sustain that that disaffirmative element while still making me want to read more. Right. Because I realized that this is a glimpse that is really authentic. I think that's that's lovely, and I can see again your your investment in the philosophy, right? Um, Dylan Trigg is a phenomenologist, so it's all about I, right, and the sense of self and and how we see ourselves. Um, and I again, I think that's one of the most remarkable things about your fiction is that it's so critically informed in a way that that makes it just so much more powerful. Um, and and yes, you can be a great uh, you know creative writer without ever reading philosophy. Maybe, um, but you just, it just feels so intellectual in a way that is, is refreshing, especially someone that, you know, is constantly trying to convince people that horror is like the most authentic way we can understand all of the big issues uh, in the world. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. Likewise. I'm, yeah, that's, that's, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate yeah. it. So I want to know whatever you can tell us about Peel Back and See, but also you just write so much. I want to know what's next for Mike Thorne. What should I be putting on my calendar? What should I be getting excited about? Um, what are you working on? Yeah, so Peel Back and See, I guess, is the next big thing that comes out in October. It's my next collection of short fiction. Um, I feel like it's the darkest book I've written. Ooh. I feel like it's, yeah, it's. I, I think, I, I mean, Darkest Hours, as I said, is a very personal book, but it's also a book that is kind of gleefully immersed in genre history, mm -hmm. genre legacies. I was thinking, you know, I want to write my version of an urban legend. I want to write my version of a slasher. I want to write my version of a possession story, whatever. Whereas I think Peel Back and See is less about genre in some sense and more about... Um, I guess personal issues, more about um, existential questions. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I feel like I put aside my my fixation on genre, mm -hmm. although Peel Back and See is, is pretty much purely a horror collection mm -hmm. as well. It feels closer to the bone in some way. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Yay. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully people like it. I'm nervously excited to release it into the world. Like I said, it does feel closer to the bone. So it's like, um, it's always nerve wracking putting a book out there. Because like I said, I don't really, I can't think about readers when I write. And then right. when you publish it, you're like, oh, right, people are going to read this shit. <laughs> so we'll see. And so unlike um, Darkest Hours, are most of these stories coming into the world for the first time in PLNC or are many of the stories published, have they been published elsewhere? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Okay. Um, and there are a couple very recent stories in Peel Back and See. So the bookends of the collection were both written during the pandemic. Wow. They're not quote unquote pandemic stories, but they both have the pandemic experience as a kind of backdrop. They're both very much about being lost in screens, this kind of dissolution of self. Um, so yeah, that it's it's 
it's basically, I think the, the earliest story in that question was originally published in 2016. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everything else was 2017 to 2021. So, And will there be essays in that one as well? No essays. I am including author notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to originally, but I actually had an interview with a guy named Jason White. He, he runs a really great horror YouTube channel. And he asked me if I would. And there were a couple other people who had asked too. And I thought, I'll include them at the end of the book because I want people to read the mm-hmm. stories first. And mm-hmm. then if you want that supplementary stuff, you can read it. Um, oh, good. I'm so glad because I, I thought that was actually a fantastic component right um at first it filled up my amazon uh cart because i was like oh i need to add that um but it also just it let me know it it showed that sort of alchemy between between author and writer because there were times that i was like oh that's exactly how i was feeling i'm so glad that's that's what what mike was thinking about and then there were other times that i was like oh this is the magic of, of literature because I can have this completely different experience that is just as valuable and, and true as the one that you are crafting. And I don't think you can get that without having the author sort of stepping down, you know, from the clouds and saying, you know, I just want you to know my thoughts. So I'm so glad you're including that. I thought that was a really terrific component of Darkest Hours. Oh, good to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent. And are you working on some, I know, I know like, at least for me as a writer, there's lots of projects I'm not willing to tell people about, mainly because I have anxiety that someone will do it better than me, right? They'll be like, oh, that's a good <laughs> idea. Um, but are you also working on some some longer form pieces or are you holding off right now because that's what you're going to be doing um, for your PhD? Where are you at in terms of longer projects? I have a few different things on the go right now. I'm writing um, an essay for a, uh, an anthology on weird fiction. It's a mm. nonfiction anthology. Um, and it's about the history of weird fiction. Excellent. And I've been tasked with writing a piece on my own fiction within the context of- Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's been a strange process. I've never written critically about my own work in that way. Are you referring so, to yourself in third person or in first person? First person, okay. I think it would be too much of a brain. <laughs> breaker otherwise uh, yeah it would be super awkward but i would also like to read uh in my opinion mike thorne's work is right like i would love <laughs> if you just kind of blurred the two together wow that is what an incredible opportunity that's so neat yeah it's really cool i i'm i'm kind of um i'm dealing both with the weird fiction legacy but also with a lot of black metal theory because i think my uh, darkest hours especially is informed a lot by the ethos and aesthetics yes. of metal music yes um, so I'm working on that, um, which that's a reminder to self. I have to meet that deadline. <laughs> and, um, I'm also wading my way through another film treatment I'm developing with Jamie. Um, I'm just kind of working through the first draft of that. It's, it's based loosely on a story in Peel Back and See, but it's expanding Excellent. into its own thing. Yeah. Um, and then I am working on a new novel that I have been toiling away at on and off for years. It's been kind of a, um, it's been a challenging project because it started as one thing and then it became something else. And, um, there are a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's going to be a novella or a novel. I'm just praying at this point that I get out of the fucking thing alive because Uh it's taking me so long, (laughs) but, uh, it's. Uh, the working title I have for that right now is Cloven Hoof, so nobody mm-hmm. steal that title. Please. Yeah, it has been claimed. 
Clovenhoff, Mike Thorne. That's right. That's mine. Yeah. I, you know, the, the writer in me is, is feeling a lot of imposter syndrome at your mention of how prolific uh, your writing is, but the horror reader in me is so delighted that you're working on so much stuff because it means that I get to have so much more um, Mike Thorne stuff in the future. So I think just keep it up. Don't let the, the PhD <laughs> destroy your soul. Or if it does, <laughs> let it be something that you can write about afterwards. Um, That's what I did with my master's, right? So Yeah, so you so your master's, you wrote a thesis, but was, was it a creative thesis? No, it was actually, I, I did an English MA, but my thesis was more of like a film and philosophy oh, that's nice. thesis. Yeah, it was on uh, John Carpenter's film, Pr Prince of Darkness. Mm. Um, and my central focus was on epistemophobia, the relationship between fear and knowledge. <laughs> I think that's something I could carry forward and explore in new ways too. It could be interesting to look at the concept of epistemophobia through um, kind of cognitive dissonance about the climate emergency. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something just deeply entrenched in human, uh, human, the ways humans navigate the world. Um, yes. So, and the ways yeah. that we prioritize our, our feelings over knowledge, right? The, the ways that we're like, I know this to be factually true, but in my heart, I don't feel like it's legit. There's, there's something really fascinating and absolutely terrifying as we've seen um, just in the last couple of years, uh, as people make decisions based on emotions and not the knowledge. Uh, so I, I think that'd be fantastic. And again, I just think, I think it's so neat the ways that you dig into the genre, um, because you know what's out there, but that in makes your work richer instead of feeling like a knockoff, which I think must be an incredible challenge um, for you to know that you know the genre so well and to still be producing these really original and very traumatizing uh, works. So thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to say? Like, I don't know if there's like someone you need to give a shout out to or if you just want to remind people of all of the, your things and where they can buy them. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah, let's think. Uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Mike Thorne writes on both. Uh, and I will include name. that in the, I will include that in the description for this episode. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah my website is MikeThorneWrites.com. Um, look out for peel back and see coming in October. Yes. Shout outs to, I already shouted out Jamie blanks. Hopefully he and yes. I can get something moving. So um and shout out to all the great people at journal stone all the awesome readers and writers in the horror community current company included <laughs> it's such a great interview katie it's oh, uh, it's a lot you. of fun to talk to another uh survivor of the horrors of academe yeah it really is um yeah thank you so very much mike it's been delightful likewise thanks so much